0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a privilege for me to bring you a message this morning. Uh, we're continuing our series in the book of Genesis. This week we're in Genesis chapter 19, uh, which on, uh, in your pew Bible will be on page 12. We are quite a few sermons in and 12 pages into the Bible here. Now, in this chapter, in chapter 19, Moses' camera cuts from Abraham for a chapter and focuses for a while on Abraham's nephew, Lot. This chapter is one of the most dramatic stories in the Bible, uh, and certainly in the book of Genesis, but it's a dark story. It's a story of sin and judgment, of foolishness. Of ruin, of death, of loss, and yet it's also a story of God's mercy and faithfulness toward those who believe in him. Well, let me start, um, since this is a continuation of a series, let me start with a quick recap of what happened in the last chapter, in chapter 18, which is also on page 12. Um, So in chapter 18, the Lord visited Abraham accompanied by two angels. Uh, And Abraham hurried to prepare a lavish feast to honor the Lord's visit. Uh, He showed uh, extravagant hospitality. Um, And uh, when they sat down to eat, Uh, the Lord reaffirmed his promise to Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a son. In fact, he put a date on it. He said, within the next year, you're going to have a son. And uh, and if you remember, Sarah, when she heard that, she laughed silently to herself, uh, thinking, how could Abraham and I have a son when we're so old? The Lord calls her out on her laugh and assures her that uh, nothing is too difficult for him. She can take his promise to the bank. And then the Lord sends the two angels on to Sodom while he has a really unique conversation with Abraham. He tells Abraham that Sodom is so wicked that he is about to destroy the whole city. And uh, Abraham uh, feels like that's pretty bad news, because uh, his, his nephew lives there. Uh, and so Abraham makes a bold intercession with God for the city of Sodom. And the Lord tells Abraham that if he finds even just 10 righteous people uh, in Sodom, he will desist, he will spare the whole city for the sake of those 10. And if in chapter 19, we'll find out if there are ten righteous people in Sodom or not. But, of course, the Lord already knows. Now, this, this chapter has a lot of sections. It would be difficult to outline, but as we move through the narrative of Genesis chapter 19, we're going to see several themes that run through the chapter. All right, so these are things for you to look for as we go through. Number one, God justly judges sin. God justly judges sin. Number two, God mercifully rescues those who believe in him. And number three, God's people must be separated from an ungodly world. All right, um, starting in verse 1 of chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So the two angels who had accompanied the Lord in chapter, 12, uh, not, uh, in chapter 18 arrive at Sodom, and one of the first people that they meet is Abraham's nephew, Lot. Lot. So, um, what is Lot doing in a city so wicked that God has said he is going to destroy it? What, what is Lot doing here? Well, let's, uh, let's recap. Um, back in Genesis chapter 12, Lot left Haran to go to Canaan with Abram. Okay, so at this time, uh, when, when we are introduced to Lot, he is together with Abram. And they're living in tents. They're moving from place to place. They have flocks and herds. They have a nomadic lifestyle that God has called Abram to in Canaan. And in chapter 13, Lot separates from Abram because their flocks and herds were so many, so numerous, that they couldn't pasture in the same place. This is a a practical decision. Um, they went their separate ways. Um, and uh, if, you were, if you were with us, you remember uh, Abram gives his nephew the first pick of the land to, to live in and says, I'll live somewhere else. And Lot chooses the, uh, the Jordan Valley where Sodom is because it has great pasture. It's a very fertile land, it's a good place for his flocks and his herds to uh, graze. Um, But next thing you know, Lot is not only in that region, but he is camped out outside Sodom. And then by chapter 14, we see that Lot is living in Sodom, and Abraham has to to rescue him when the kings of Mesopotamia come and uh, take the people of Sodom hostage. So now in chapter 19, when we find Lot, Lot is sitting in the gate. So you see what happened as we move through the story of Genesis? The trend is that Lot moves farther away from Abraham, and his life becomes more and more entangled, more and more wrapped up in the city of Sodom. And what we're going to see is that living in Sodom ends up costing Lot almost everything What started out as a practical economic decision turns out to be the biggest mistake of Lot's life. Lot failed to separate himself from an ungodly world. So the angels find Lot sitting in the gate. Now, we we might not think of a gate. If you have a gate on your fence, it's not really a place to sit, but in the ancient Near East, the main gate of a city was a public place where the men, uh, especially the men of status, authority, responsibility, they would spend a lot of their time there together. The the gate was a place to visit, it was a place to conduct business, and it was a place to keep tabs on who is coming in and out of the city for security purposes. Now, the fact that Lot was sitting in the gate shows that he had been accepted into the society of Sodom. He wasn't just hanging on to the margins. He wasn't holed up in a cheap apartment. Um, He was sitting in the gate with the big dogs of Sodom. And in the gate, he had a front row seat to everything that was going on in Sodom. And what he saw was not pretty. In 2 Peter uh, 2, verses 7 through 8 Uh, we read, Lot was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So Lot has woven his life into the life of Sodom, and yet Lot is a righteous man. He's a man of conscience. He's a man who knows God, but he is living in the middle of a culture that is anything but righteous. So as the only righteous man in a city controlled by wickedness, most of the time it would seem that Lot kept his head down and his mouth shut. But today, he does take action, all right? Um, Back to verse one, when Lot saw them, the angels, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, we're going to have, have plenty to say about Lot's mistakes uh, in this chapter, but here's one thing that Lot gets right. Lot goes out of his way to show hospitality to two strangers, Does he have any idea that these men are actually angels? I I don't think so. Um, Although he, he bows and addresses them with respect, he goes on to treat them as vulnerable men in need of protection. Brothers and sisters, Lot's hospitality often would put ours to shame, Uh, I don't know about you, but when I think about hospitality, I often am talking about having a friend over for dinner, or maybe keeping a guest room uh, for our in-laws to visit. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of hospitality. It's good for uh, your friends, it's good for you, but the kind of hospitality that Jesus calls his people to is so much more than having a social life. when, uh, in, in Luke uh, 14, Jesus says, When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." So Lot is a model of this gracious, self-sacrificing hospitality. He's looking for people with needs, not just for people that could be his friends. Um, But before everybody goes to bed, things take a turn for the worse. Um, Starting in verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, to the last man surrounded the house and they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. With a few short words, Moses describes the intent of the men of Sodom to commit a truly depraved act. Word had got around that there were two strangers visiting inside the city overnight and for the men of Sodom, this is an, an opportunity to enjoy their favorite sport. Um, they, uh, they, in, they intend to victimize and violate uh, Lot's guests. Well, this is a shocking turn of events, and it confirms the extreme wickedness of the city of Sodom. So what was the sin of Sodom exactly? Well, first of all, as we can easily see right here in the text, it was sexual perversion. The men of Sodom were going outside the natural, God-given marriage relationship between the man and the woman, and they embraced an unnatural, destructive desire for other men. Uh, Jude verse 7 uh, says Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. And we certainly see that here. Um, Ezekiel 16, Ezekiel 16 gives us some additional perspective on the wickedness of Sodom. Uh, and in this, in the in the passage in Ezekiel. Um, God is speaking through the prophet and warning the nation of Judah um, about the consequences of her own wickedness, but he compares it to that of Sodom. And he gives us some details that we might miss about the sin of Sodom. Um, in um, e- Ezekiel 16, uh, starting in verse 49, says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. Excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Now, this is a sober warning, church family. The sin of Sodom was not limited to, and in fact, I don't think it even started with sexual perversion. It started with a stingy self-indulgence. It started with an attitude that says, everything I have is for me. It's all for my consumption. The purpose of my life is to enjoy as much pleasure as I can, and everybody else, they can fend for themselves. It was this selfish disregard for the poor in Sodom which blossomed into a shameless exploitation of the vulnerable. If we, if we look at this, um, at the story here, we see that the men of Sodom were not simply committing immorality with each other. They may have been, but, um, but what they wanted to do to these, as they thought, defenseless strangers, uh, they would not have wanted done to them. Um, they they see uh, a, a helpless person and they see someone that they can exploit. It's easy for us to read the story of the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah and see ourselves only in the place of Lot caught in the crossfire of Sodom's wickedness or maybe see ourselves in the place of Abraham worrying about Lot and and his life in Sodom. Um, But could it be if we examine our own hearts that we're guilty of a lot of Sodom's sin? Um, Have we made our lives, our possessions, all about us when God wants to make them about serving and sharing with others? When God provides us, as, as he has provided many of us, Uh, with more financial resources than we need to get by. Do we see that as an opportunity to bless those who have less than we do, or do we see it only as an opportunity to spend our wealth on more clothes, more gadgets, more vacations, more entertainment? Brothers and sisters, if our goal is to live on this earth in luxury and comfort, we're closer than we think to the sin of Sodom. Uh, thirdly, uh, and don't miss this, because it is, it is underlined, as it were, in the text. Moses underlines this for us. Um, everybody in Sodom participated in the wickedness of Sodom. Um, coming back to... I lost my place here. Um, it says in verse four, before they lay down, the men of the city, okay, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, it repeats, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. So this answers the question of whether there are as many as ten righteous people in Sodom. There are not. There's only Lot. Only Lot resists So how does Lot respond to this threat from the men of Sodom? Well, uh, we see in verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance. He shut the door after him and he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Well, what we see in, from Lot in this moment is both, on the one hand, surprising courage, but on the other hand, shocking cowardice. At the same time, well, why do I say courage? Well, Lot doesn't just board up the door and stay inside. He steps out of the door and closes it behind him. He, he puts himself between his guests and the dangerous mob. So we'll give him a little bit of credit for that, but then he comes up with a horrifying plan. In order to protect the strangers staying in his house, he intends to sacrifice to hand over his own daughters to the men of Sodom. Lot is, as we've seen, a righteous man, but in attempting to resist the sinfulness of Sodom, he makes a terrible mistake. Brothers and sisters, when we, are, uh, when we are trying to live lives of godliness in an ungodly culture, in the middle of an ungodly community, we need wisdom from God to know how to respond. Because in our own human uh, instincts, in our own human knowledge, we're going to tend to do one of two things. One will respond with ungodly anger, uh, which is not what Lot does here. Uh, but the other will tend to respond with ungodly compromises, where we say, well, we'll go so far, uh, but, but, but resist a little bit. Um, but uh, we, need, we need wisdom from God uh, through prayer, through listening to God's Spirit, through being um, saturated with God's Word, We need to grow in wisdom. And finally, uh, through the wisdom that comes from from godly people in our lives. Notice that Lot is completely alone. Lot has no one to tap him on the shoulder and say, uh, hey man, that's a bad idea. Here's a better idea. Um, Because all of the men of Sodom are participating in wickedness. Lot has no godly friends. This is a consequence of where he has chosen to live and how he has chosen to live. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we can't help living in an ungodly world. This is where God has placed us. But if we're going to do that and walk in wisdom, we need to be walking with our brothers and sisters that's why we should be sharing about our lives with, uh, with our friends at church, with, uh, with, with other Christian friends. Uh, we, uh, we need to have people who can be sounding boards for us, people who know and love the Lord. We need each other. Well, uh, how does this work out for Lot? Um, uh, verse 9, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will do- deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. Well, Lot's strategy uh, completely does not work. Um, It's it's, uh, all of his experience in the city of Sodom has not enabled him to come up with an effective plan. Wicked people will not be satisfied with polite words or even with compromises. They're gonna demand cooperation and approval for their wickedness. So we should stand firm for love and righteousness and we should trust God to deal with the wicked when we don't have the power to do so. Well, thankfully, um, Lot has another resource that he doesn't know about. But the men, that is the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Well, Lot is rescued from the men of Sodom, not by his strategy, but by God's power. Brothers and sisters, we don't need to resort to sinful compromises to achieve the purposes of God. We we don't need to control sinful people around us. When the situation is beyond our control, we need to trust God with it. we see another um, uh, illustration of just how far the people of Sodom had fallen into sin. They were struck with blindness, and at the end of verse 11 it says, they wore themselves out, groping for the door. These men are in the middle of experiencing a grim consequence for their sin, And all they can think about is continuing their sin. Um, They are still dominated by sinful desire. Uh, This is a warning to us, brothers and sisters. Um, Sin doesn't play fair. Sin wants to take all of us. Um, We we are tempted to make little compromises with sin, but uh, when we do that, uh, sin enslaves Uh, Sin dominates. Sin brings men and women under its power. This is the track that we were on, brothers and sisters, before, before we were saved. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, he has made a way of deliverance for us. Well, by striking the men of Sodom blind, the angels have tipped their hands to Lot and showed him that they are no ordinary travelers. They are equipped with supernatural power. And now they reveal to him their mission, and it's a mission of judgment, and it's a mission of mercy. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? This is verse 12. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be joking. Even after his narrow escape from the angry mob outside, when Lot hears this warning about the judgment of God and the opportunity for deliverance, he goes on an evangelistic mission. See, Lot believes the angels... And what what they are telling him, when he hears that this city is under judgment and and in order to be saved, you have to get out, he believes it. He believes the word of God. And he wants to bring his daughter's fiancés with him. By the way, notice that Lot's daughters are engaged to men of Sodom. Men who had just been part of the mob outside Lot's house because everyone in Sodom was. But now Lot goes out to them with an urgent and sober warning. Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy this city. Lot doesn't give any disclaimers. He shows confidence in the warning that the angels have given him. But even with this desperate warning, Lot is completely unable to move his sons-in-law. The idea of God's coming judgment seems like a big joke to them. No matter what Lot says, they don't take him seriously. And by sunrise, Lot has been able to convince zero people to escape. Uh, Only his wife and daughters who are part of his household are going to go with him. Sodom has impacted Lot, but Lot has not impacted Sodom. All right. Um, Verses 15 and 16. As morning dawned, The angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Uh, even knowing that the city is going to be destroyed, even after he himself tried to persuade others, when the time comes to get out of Sodom, Lot hesitates. He procrastinates. He intends to go, but not quite yet. It's hard for him to leave his home. His whole life is here. Maybe if he could have just another day, he could convince those sons-in-law to come with him. I wonder if he walked around the house trying to think what important items he could carry out. He knows that the angels speak the truth. He believes it. But he's put down roots in Sodom. It's hard for him to leave. But God doesn't let him stay. Because God is a rescuer of those who believe in him. In verse 17, Let's see. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, which means little. Lot is so weak, so fearful, it's so hard for him to give up his own ease and comfort. Escape for your life, head for the hills, the angels tell him. And even knowing they're, her, they're telling him the truth, he thinks, oh, no, the hills? I can't run to the hills. Can I even climb a hill? I need to stay in the city. That's my comfort zone. I, I identify so much with Lot here. <laughs> um, it's so hard for me to leave my comfortable routines and go do something unknown, something different, something risky. So Lot bargains with the angel. But where Lot is so weak, so fearful, God is so patient and so merciful to his people. He, he, will, he will respond to just a little bit of faith. Even though Lot continues to prefer his own plans to God's plan to rescue him, um, God, through his angelic messenger, not only continues to rescue Lot, but he even grants his request to spare Zoar. Brothers and sisters, God is patient with us in our weaknesses, in our doubts, in our compromises. We would always do Better to trust His plan. But when we cry out to Him, even in doubt, even in fear, He hears us. He has compassion for us. He rescues us. Verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. The angel's warnings to Lot were not exaggerated. As soon as Lot reached Zoar, the judgment of God fell on Sodom and the cities around it. The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Sodom's time was up. The Lord had seen the wickedness of the cities in the Jordan Valley, and He said, No more! There was nowhere to run, nowhere to hide from the justice of God. Some commentators would want to see this part of the Genesis record as a kind of parable or legend. It just seems too terrible to even think that it's true. But Moses' original readers would have known that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was a historical fact. In fact, in the last few years, archaeologists have excavated some of these cities at the north end of the Dead Sea, and the evidence that they see of these cities' sudden destruction is terrifying. Houses leveled instantly, pottery burnt to a crisp, massive walls City walls flattened by a shockwave hot enough to melt stone. And the archaeologists say that Sodom and Gomorrah were wiped out by a meteor explosion, which may be an accurate description of physically what happened. But Moses tells us not just what happened, but why it happened and who did it. The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. As sinful human beings, when we hear such a powerful record of the wrath of God against sin, it can make us uncomfortable. It should. Remember, we have all been sinners against the Lord. And our sin is not so different from the sin of Sodom. The judgment that our sin deserves is the same as as Sodom. We have deserved death. The sinfulness of Sodom and Gomorrah was extreme, okay? What, what happened in the city to, uh, or, or what almost happened to uh, Lot's visitors would hopefully not happen in uh, the s- cities in which we live. But here, uh, here, this church, God's judgment of Sodom was not a one-off reaction to a particularly wicked culture. No, it, is a, it was a visible, Historical warning that God is a just judge and that He punishes sin and that He will finally punish all sin. Brothers and sisters, there is coming a judgment day more fearful than the sudden destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Jude warns us in in Jude verse 7. Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Uh, Peter agrees in 2 Peter 2, uh, verse 6, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Brothers and sisters, the smoke of Sodom carries through the ages to warn us of the judgment of God that is coming for this world. The judgment that you and I and everyone else that we know deserves. But brothers and sisters, that's what makes the grace of God in Christ so wonderful. God always punishes sin, but he also delivers those who believe in him. Um, going on in the, in the second Peter passage. In verse 7, it says, If he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, and in verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. When God sends his judgment... He also sends rescue. As Paul says in Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death, um, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again and again, when uh, when God sends judgment, He sends mercy. Finally, uh, God sent His own Son Jesus Christ to bear the punishment for the sins of God's people so that we could be rescued in the final day. Verse 26 says, "...but, but Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt." Um, when, we, um, when we look at what happened to Lot's wife, who almost made it, she was on her way out of Sodom, but she disobeys the angel's command. She looks back. It seems very harsh. At, at least it does to me. Um, but, um, but the Lord is just, and the Lord knows hearts. We don't know exactly, did, outwardly, did Lot's wife just look over her shoulder? Um, it does say that she was behind him. Did she go back? Was she on her way back to Sodom? Uh, we, don't know, we don't know that exactly, but, um, but we, can, we can know that the Lord who looks on hearts um, knew that not only was she outwardly disobeying the command of the angel not to look back, but uh, her heart was with Sodom. She uh, was not acting in faith on God's warning. Brothers and sisters, um, we—if uh, you're—if you're in this church, you're probably in a community of faith. Perhaps you grew up in a Christian home. Uh, perhaps you uh, live in a Christian family. Uh, perhaps you have a lot of Christian friends. That's good. I'm glad. It won't save you. Lot's wife was uh, married to a man who believed God's warning, but she herself, um, at the last minute, re- rebels against it, um, and she is not. She's not saved. brothers and sisters, if, if, um, if you have been going with the flow of your own family or your own community, I would urge you to examine your hearts. Do you yourself believe uh, in the judgment of God and in the, the salvation of Christ? Are you trusting in the work of Christ for your salvation? If not, you can begin today. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, where he had had that conversation with the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Abraham's heart must have, must have sank he had hoped based on his conversation with the Lord that the Lord would not destroy Sodom. He had hoped perhaps there would be at least 10 righteous men in all of that city. Abraham must have thought that it was all for nothing. He must have thought, well, Lot's a goner. Um, you know, all that Lot and I have been through together, all the, you know, the, the story of his rescuing Lot, you know, it was all for nothing. Even, the, even this agonized conversation that I had with the Lord, nothing came of it. I don't know if Abraham ever knew how the Lord answered his prayer or not. But Moses says that when God destroyed, this is verse 29, When God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. God didn't answer Abraham's prayer in exactly the way that Abraham had expected. He did destroy the city of Sodom, but he got Lot out. And he got Lot out partly because of Lot's righteousness, but also because of the prayer of Abraham. Prayer that changes history. Uh, James 5 tells us that the prayer of a righteous man has great power. Brothers and sisters, I know that many of you, maybe all of you, um, know people who are lost. Or maybe they're saved, but they're not walking with the Lord. They're not walking in wisdom, not walking in faithfulness. You may not know whether they're saved or not. We need to be praying for those people in our lives, brothers and sisters. God (laughs) hears our prayers and He will answer them, maybe not in exactly the way that we have in mind. We may not even know. We may may never know on this side of eternity how the Lord answered our prayers, but he, He will. He's faithful to do it. All right, we have a little bit left. Um, Lot's story has, it closes with a strange and a sad episode. Starting in verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. Ugh. Cave. And the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with their father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose." The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both of the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Well, desperate to have children and without any prospects of marriage, Lot's daughters conspire to drug him with alcohol and get pregnant with him, and they are amazingly successful. Their children become Lot's earthly legacy. Lot becomes the father of two nations that border Israel, nations that throughout the rest of the Old Testament side with Israel's enemies and lead Israel into idolatry and immorality. It's a sorry and shameful legacy. Now it's easy to blame Lot's daughters for their part in this story. The scheme that they cooked up was immoral. They betrayed a father that they knew would never have agreed to this plan. To an incestuous relationship with them. But how did they get there? In particular, I want to ask what was Lot's part in how they got there? Well, Lot made several mistakes that shaped the lives of his daughters. First, he chose to raise them in the wicked city of Sodom. Now, this might have seemed like a good thing for his family's standard of living. Uh, Sodom was a, a, an affluent, prosperous city. It had a lot going for it. But, but it clearly had all, only ungodly influences. Brothers and sisters, I, I want to speak especially to those of you who either have children or who may have children in the future. That's a lot of you. Um, um, it is your responsibility to choose the environment that will shape your children's spiritual lives. Alright, it is your responsibility to choose the environment that will shape your children's spiritual lives. And this should affect decisions like uh, where you work, where you move, uh, what school your children are in, and what, uh, what entertainment they watch, what what are the things that are going into your children's minds and shaping who they become? In an ungodly world um, we and in an increasingly post-Christian culture, uh, we can expect more and more deception uh, in the institutions of learning, in uh, coming from the people who are teaching children. And we do. We, we see it everywhere. Um, there are, um, there are so many schools, I mean, particularly public schools, uh, this would be true in private schools too, m- many private schools, that uh, it's, it's not considered acceptable to teach children about Jesus, but it's considered acceptable and laudable to teach them that sexual immorality is good, to teach them that they might need to change their gender, to, uh, to, to teach them all kinds of ungodly things, that are, that are considered appropriate to teach children. And um, many Christians have uh, made or, or are making a difficult decision <clears throat> to, um, to take their kids out of a public school and either uh, bear the expense of a Christian school that they, that they um, believe, had, have determined, will be uh, a godly environment for their children or uh, to... Um, to change the whole way they spend their time by homeschooling them. Now, I can't tell you what the right choice is for your children's school, but what I can tell you is that if you are a Christian parent, it is your responsibility to make sure that Sodom is not raising your children. Wherever they are, you need to know what is going into their ears and into their eyes and uh, if, it's, if it's ungodly, you need to put a stop to it. And you need to disciple them in truth and righteousness. Well, number two, um, an influence of Lot in his daughter's lives was earlier in our story. Faced with the danger of Sodom's wickedness, he intends to abandon them to it, showing little regard for their safety, well, let alone for their sexual purity. Well, if, if Lot showed so little regard for his daughter's future, for their, um, for their spiritual life, for their safety, why, would he, why, why could he have expected that they would respect either themselves or him? Number three, unlike Abraham, <clears throat> who goes to great lengths to find a suitable wife for his son Isaac, sorry, spoilers, Lot just settles for the pragmatic. He lets his daughters be engaged to men from Sodom. Um, We have a responsibility to our kids, not only to keep them away from ungodly influences, but to foster a a godly community for them, uh, to uh, bring people into their lives who will be able to come alongside us to train them in righteousness, to influence them for good. Uh, when your children are getting older, who will they marry? Um, if, they, if they just marry the person next door or just somebody that they find anywhere on the Internet uh, in an ungodly world, that's, that may not be a good idea. Uh, we need to be looking out for our kids to help them make good, godly friends that can be part of a godly future for them. <clears throat> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Number four, after Sodom's judgment... <clears throat> Lot allows his fear from his traumatic experience at Sodom to dominate him. He is living alone in a cave rather than courageously acting to build a future for his daughters. Uh, I I could talk more about this, but but we we, uh, don't have too much time. Um, But as parents... We've been through many experiences, some of them good, some of them bad. Um, We have a responsibility to look out for other people and not just live in fear, not just live with our pain. Number five, Lot is using alcohol to such an extent that his daughters know, they know, they're planning on it, that they can get him into a drunken stupor two nights in a row. He is too compromised to... Provide moral leadership for them. Okay. And we can understand that. Again, Lot has lost almost everything. He has been through so much trauma in his life. But um, he, he has a responsibility to walk in faithfulness and to provide moral leadership. He doesn't do it. He, um, he turns to the bottle instead of to the Lord. Well, Do we we end here? (laughs) It's a a pretty sad place to end, and this is kind of how Lot's story ends. But there's a glimmer of hope. There's a glimmer of light. Um, The Lord does allow uh, Lot to become a a father of two nations, Um, pretty disreputable nations. but, But still, Lot's line doesn't end here. Uh, and when we look at the story of the book of Ruth, we find a young woman who is of the Moabites. She is a descendant of Lot who ends up leaving her, her family, her country, and becoming joined with the people of God. She, uh, she marries a Jewish man named Boaz. And in so doing, she becomes the great-grandmother of none other than King David. She becomes part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and so she becomes part of God's plan to save the world. God is so merciful. He brings brings redemption out of the most painful, out of the darkest, out, out of the worst failures of man, God brings redemption. And um, I don't care who you are. You have, you have some dishonorable people in your family tree. Some of you know about them. Some of you, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know very much about my family tree. Uh, but, um, but many of us have people in our family tree that, uh, honestly, we're kind of embarrassed by. OK? <laughs> some of you uh, know exactly who you're thinking of right now. Um, but brothers and sisters, we are not defined by the sinful people we came from. We are all descended from Adam. <laughs> we are all in a sinful line. And the Lord is able to save, and is able, able to give us a legacy that is different from the legacy that was handed down to us by our forefathers. Well, uh, let's, let's close on that note with a word of prayer. Dear Father, um, I thank you for the story of Lot, and the story of your judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. As dark as this story is, Lord, it's a, it's a warning to us. and I pray that we would heed it, that we would, um, that we would know and believe and be aware that your judgment is coming And, Lord, yet that your mercy is more, that you are in the business of rescuing men and women from the destruction that is coming, from the justice that is coming. Lord, I pray that you would inspire us to look at the people around us and to warn them of the wrath to come. Lord, for anyone in this room who has not received your gift of mercy, I pray that they would do so today. Lord, that they would take heed, uh, that they would recognize their need for you, their need for a Savior, their need to be rescued. Um, Lord, you are a righteous judge, a perfect judge of all the earth, and yet you are even more a wonderful Savior. Thank you, Lord. Let us walk in uh, honor of you in fear, but, uh, but also in the joy of your salvation today. In Jesus' name, amen.